We're going to pick up with verse 6, chapter 22. And all, all I'm going to try to do to introduce this part of it is I, I kind of want to put on the shoes of a guy that I really, honestly, from a human standpoint, I don't like him. But from, from, a, from a spiritual standpoint, I mean, the Spirit of God says, Luke, love him. His name is Bill Maurer. Okay? Bill's one of these guys who, who is an atheist and who has, over the years, made it his business to specifically poke fun at religions. All religions, honestly, but in particular, uh, Christianity. Uh, he's the, um, the author and the producer of a movie uh, a number of years ago called Religious, in which he basically kind of points to these different things that religion says and mocks them and says, boy, you Christians are kind of weird people running around talking about some garden where snakes talk. And um, boy, I've never really seen a snake talk. Do you actually believe that? Okay. The reason I want to put Bill up here this morning is because we've been talking about what, what I believe the world will look like after this world ends. Okay. So when people ask me what time it is, my question is, which would you prefer, chronological time, uh, Kairos time, or Ionis time? People are like, no, I just want to know what time it is, for goodness sakes. Well, there's three ways that you measure time, right? Chronologically is how most of us live. We, we live out our lives at the end of our nose. We're so frantic in our world today. I've got to be here. I've got to go here. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. My list never gets done. We're like, whoa, right? Chronological time. We're earthbound creatures that allow time to manage us rather than us manage time. It's pretty much the way that we live. There's a, there's a better way to live. It's called kairos time. When you go through the Bible, you'll see this word appear in the Greek language multiple times. Kairos, kairos, kairos. And it's, it's translated time. Well, what it is, it's not chronological time. It's God's time. And so we would say it this way. I'd say, well, uh, this guy walks in my office and goes, Pastor, how long is it going to be before, you know, before I get over this? I've got this pain inside of me. I went through this divorce and I just can't get over it. I can't get past it. Kairos. You can't make that happen. That's what God does. God, that God has his timing for you, right? Um, guy walking out from church this morning says, Luke, can I, can I tell you something? Um, Dorian says, uh, I got word that... Uh, This guy died. Well, he's a guy that I know from way back when. 51 years old, died. Died? What happened to him? Kairos. God has a time for you. And that time is when we come into this world, when we leave this world, Kairos time. And so part of living life is to get above chronological time and to realize, no, wait a minute. What's going on in my life, it, I can't just be controlled by all the little silly dots. Life's bigger than my to-do list. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why did God put me here? What has he called me to do? Because if all I do is live my whole life chronologically, I'm earthbound, and at the end of my life, I look back and I'm like, you know what I accomplished in my life? Nothing. Zippo. Kairos pulls me above that, allows me to look down on it and say, you know what, God put me here in this time, in this place, for a purpose and a reason. And as I seek to discover that, now I seek to begin to have some meaning in my life, right? And then the third 
word that I think is so significant is Ionios. And um, Ionios time is, is really the time that's on God's watch. So when you look at God's watch, it says there's a time and a time and a half a time, right? And uh, we've been using that language throughout our study. There's a time and a time and a half a time. The time, the first time, it's gone, it's past, it's over. Chronologically, it represents the whole period from the beginning of time, creation, till you reach the, the birth of Jesus Christ, right? That whole Old Testament, intertestamental period is the first Ionios, the first age, if you will. So there's a time. It's gone. It's gone. It's over. And there is a time. We're in it right now. We call it the New Testamental time, that time that began with Jesus' birth, right? And we'll continue all the way up until we reach that moment. Click. Half a time. And what we've said throughout the Revelation is you will know it when the half a time begins because it is marked by a rather severe um, event or series of events that take all the things that we stand upon and take for granted and yank them right out from underneath our feet and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where there is massive chaos on planet Earth. And all the things that matter to us, like how much money is in my 401k, you won't know how much money is in your 401k. And retirement and all that is gone. Out the window. You don't care a lick about them. You care about how are we going to survive right now. It's a half a time because the revelation says to us that in that, that last period of time that will lead up to the end, God says, I'll cut it short. It's not going to be a whole time period. It's going to be cut short for the sake of those who will be saved for your sake and for mine. Cut short. Time and a time and a half a time. And then guess what? Destroyed. This world that we're standing on, everything that we, that we call Earth, the universe around it burned up like that. And now begins not a new Ionios, but an everlasting Ionios, an everlasting age with a new Earth, a physical Earth. We've been talking about that physical Earth and we've, we've, we've been using the pieces of revelation that God gives us to kind of create a puzzle. And people ask all the time, well, what is this new earth going to be like? And the, the real honest answer is, well, um, there are certain things we can know, but there's more that we don't know, right? We, do we have bodies? Yes. Are they like our bodies now? Yes and no. They're like Jesus' resurrected body. Okay, so there's physical. We can eat. We can also walk through a wall, right? What does that mean? I'm not sure. Are we, do we have relationships? Yes. We're married Absolutely, we're married to our groom. That would be Jesus. That relationship is like a marriage relationship. It's intimate. It's been built around the covenant. He's made us his bride. Are we married to each other? No. No, we're not. What's our relationship like? Well, Revelation tells us like angels today. Angels have a great relationship with one another. And they celebrate that relationship. But they're not married. Okay? We say, okay, um, I mean, am I going to have a job? I think so. Why? Because Adam and Eve did. And the way that the Revelation describes new earth is much like the garden was. Right? Now, the garden, in the garden, Adam and Eve, their job was to do what? We used this word last week, basaluon. 
was to steward the things of God and, and under his grace. So I think we will have work on new earth. Um, will there be a sun? Nope. No sun. Our physical universe is transformed because our light source is God himself. There's no sleeping in new earth because there's no night. There's just day. And so you can tell our bodies are transformed and are different than, than our old bodies are, right? So you start to put all these little pieces of a puzzle together. Will we go to church on New Earth? No, you won't go to church on New Earth. You won't have like a Baptist church and a Lutheran church and a Methodist church all fighting each other. You won't have that. Uh, what you're going to have is your life is a constant, right? Constant worship of who God is. That does not mean you're running around with a heart playing songs. It means that I, I've given myself to you. You're the object of my love. So you get all these puzzle pieces. Well, what I want you to stop and think about is how absolutely foolish what I'm saying sounds to the world. Bill Maurer, would, if he were up here, he'd listen to us and he'd say, are you people out of your minds? What are you talking about? You're going to have like a spirit body that can walk through a wall and you, you what are you, you're, yeah, you're, no sun. You can't have life with no sun. What are, you, what are you talking about? Some new earth. Are you crazy? Okay. So I, I think it's important when you get to verse 6 of, of Revelation 22 to just kind of hear what the Spirit is saying to John, and, would, and he'll continue to, to kind of put his hand underneath this thought till the very end of the revelation. Just look at these words. And he said to me, these words are, see if your translation reads this way, these words are trustworthy and they are true. Is that how your scriptures read? Okay. Um, how do you understand that? Okay, if I said to you, okay, here's a, here's a contract and I want you to sign it because you're going to buy this car from me. If you just sign right there on the line, don't read all that stuff in between there. Just put your name right down here because this contract is trustworthy and true. Would you believe me? You'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. You got a magnifying glass, I want to read all those words down there. You try to read them, you can't, okay? We live in a pretty skeptical time where we would say, well, how do you know all these things are trustworthy? Trustworthy would mean what? I am able to count on them, right? I kind of like here the Greek word underneath our term, trustworthy, because I think it helps. So I put it up here on the board, trustworthy and true, and the, the word that's underneath this term, trustworthy, is the word pistoi. And literally translated, if I have pistos, I have faith. Okay? So the way I like to read this in, in kind of a raw, essential way from the Greek is to say it a little bit like this. These words are believed in faith and true. That helps me. Because... What I want to be able to see is that to the world, these words actually will be foolish. 
They don't make sense. You can't make, you can't make sense of what the Bible is describing about uh, the, 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 the new earth with your physical mind. You can't get it. Okay? So when Bill Maurer stands up and pokes fun at me and says, Luke, you really believe this stuff? You think this is really... I tell him, Bill, I get it. I understand. You don't have faith. The only way, the only reason that I'm able to stand up here and say, do I believe that there'll be a new earth and all this stuff is true? Yeah, absolutely. The only reason I can say that is because my faith takes hold of these words and the Spirit of God confirms it within me. There's not one part of me that says, oh, I really wonder if this is true. Not one part of me. Every part of me looks at it and goes, absolutely, it's true. By the way, the word true there, you know what it is in the Greek? Amen. These words are believed in faith, and you can put an amen at the end of them. They're absolute. We live in a world where we're taught what? Nothing is absolute. Jesus says, I am the absolute, and what I'm saying to you, believed in faith, is the absolute truth of God. Okay? Should I expect my thoughts about the end time to be challenged? Should I expect that? Yes, I should. And yet God says, I want you to hang on to it, hold on to it, and live accordingly. I wanted to do a little cross-reference here. So um, let's flip over to 2 Timothy. And if you'll turn to, to chapter 3, what does it mean for me to hang on to words that I know are going to be laughed at by people in our world? Well, in 2 Timothy 3, you know, Paul's really addressing that with this young man named Timothy. And he describes what the world becomes in the last days. And uh, every time I read 2 Timothy 3, I, I kind of think about the fact that if I put a newspaper side by side with my Bible, I could probably find in the newspaper today examples of every one of these words. Follow me on this. This is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, understand this, Timothy, in the last days, there'll come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They're going to be proud, arrogant, in fact, abusive. They'll be disobedience to parents and ungratefulness. In fact, they'll be unholy. People will become heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. In fact, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Doesn't that sound like the newspaper? I'm telling you what, if you take a newspaper and you just circle every one of those words, you're like, yep, there it is, there's heartless, there's brutal, there's lovers of money. You just go all the way through it and you'll see it. That's the world that we're living in, okay? Now, what does Paul tell Timothy? How do, how do you get through that? He's, what he's saying to him is expect what you believe in to be challenged. If I have kids today, or I speak to my grandkids today, I tell them, do I believe this to be true? Absolutely, I do. Not, I don't have one question about it. Will, will you have this challenge in your life? Yes, you will have a challenge in your life. How do you hold on? We'll go to verse number 10 here in 2 Timothy. 
Paul says to Timothy, you, you, however, have done what you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, those that happened in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, which persecutions I endured from them all, and the Lord rescued me. Okay? What's he saying? You've been walking with me for a while, Timothy. Iconium, Lystra, Derby. What happened? Got beat up. The church that's supposed to be supporting me and about God's love and all that, they attacked me. Uh, people that said they were of God, they're probably the most cruel of all. You lived through all that with me, Timothy. So if you think that what you believe in will not come underneath fire, you got another thought coming. It absolutely will come under fire. Then he says this. Go up to verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Now when he's saying that, continue in what you have learned, um, that, that word is, is aorist. In other words, it points to the past. Continue in what you have learned. But it's connected to what? A word that points to an ongoing action. So for me to continue in what I have learned, I never stop going back to the Word. I've got to keep it in front of me all the time. Okay? It's why I really highly recommend to Christians, don't let there be a day that begins in your life where you don't just start off with a, a, a simple Word of God that will be the filter through which you live out that day. That day. It's one day at a time. Start off with something. I don't care if it's portals of prayer, which takes about 14.2 seconds to read, right? If that. Or if it's one of my favorites, Jesus Calling. I love that book because you can pop it open and here's a word from God to you that says, here's, I'm going to be with you today, right? Here's the way to live. But but continue in it, Timothy. Don't stop putting that word in front of you. The days that I get going and I don't put the word of God in front of me, they're not good days. They really aren't. Because my head very quickly, so quickly, gets wrapped up in the stuff of this world. And I'm all of a sudden living chronologically. Get up here. Live Kairos. That's what he's saying to Timothy. You have learned it. You have firmly believed it, knowing who you learned it from. Since from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for, to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy grew up learning the word of God through his parents and grandparents. And what he's saying is, you know what? You know them. You saw what happened. You watched how they died. Probably one of the greatest gifts in my life is watching all of my grandparents die in the faith. All of them, every one of them. Um, you know, for my grandma, whose Bible I still have, and I love to open up from time to time and just look at the notes that she made when she was alive, and I think, man, grandma was thinking about that. To my grandpa Biggs, who sat me on his lap after, after my grandma died and said, I'm lonely. I want to be with my wife. 
But Grandpa, don't don't talk like that. We we I'm ready to go home. But Grandpa, you no, know, we need you here. I'm I'm kind of thankful for those moments, right? That's what he's saying. You know the people that were part of your life. That's who you learned it from. And then he he speaks these words that I, I just think are are highly significant. It says all scripture is breathed out by God. We have translations that will say is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching. It'll teach you for reproof. For correction, it'll correct you. It'll train you how to live your life in righteousness. That the man of God may be competently equipped for every good work. What is he saying to Timothy? He's saying, this is why these words are trustworthy and true. You've learned them. You grew up with them. Continue in them. Hold on to them. And I'm again, I'm just very, very convinced that one of the, the, the key things that we do as parents and grandparents in our world today is helping our, our kids and grandkids take hold of a word and be able to say, in faith, this is the truth. It is, is it absolute? Yes. Will it be tested? Mm-hmm. Let's live together. Mm-hmm. We would like we would like to have you um, come on board our our business, and all of a sudden you realize the ethics of this business they're not they're not quite right. Will it be tested? There'll be people that'll say things about you, especially nowadays on the internet, and people are saying things about you that aren't right. And all of a sudden, how are, what does it mean for me to go through that, walk through that? And love a person who I really don't like at all. Who's coming against me. What, what does that mean? These words will get you through. And that's really what um, uh, the angel uh, of the revelation is saying to John. Is John, what I'm telling you is, these words that you've heard, they're going to get tested. But hold on to them. Because in faith, they're to be believed. They are the great amen of life. Okay, flip back over to the Revelation. So he says, these words are trustworthy and true. And then he says, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Okay. You'll notice that the word spirits there is, is actually in the plural. Uh, don't get messed up by that. Um, when I say to you, the Lord, the God of the spirits, okay, well, you could say that there are plural spirits in the sense that a, an angel is a spiritual being, okay? But here he's not talking about angels. He's attaching it specifically to the prophets. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. So you have multiple prophets, right? How many spirits do you have? Really just one. It's the Holy Spirit. So he's not pluralizing this to indicate that there's a lot of different spirits floating around in heaven, but to say that each prophet, each prophet spoke what they spoke in a foretelling way through the Holy Spirit, they were able to see things that are inaccessible to the minds of human beings. And he's saying, John, here's, here's what I want you to remember, is that the angel was sent to you, all right? He's a spirit. 
to reveal to you things that are going to take place very soon. And he's speaking to you. This whole of this revelation has been spoken to you in a foretelling way. Remember, prophets, prophets had two jobs, forthtelling and foretelling. Or I like to say prophets, prophets had the job of either uh, comforting the afflicted or afflicting the comfortable, right? But they did that through the voice of the Holy Spirit of God in a foretelling or foretelling way. Uh, what, what, they, what the revelation says is, I've sent my angel now, John, to show you what must take place soon. These words, by the way, were written how long ago? Long time ago. It's first century A.D., right? If I said to you, <clears throat> we'll start our worship service soon, and I followed this timing, it'd be a long time from now, right? So what are you talking about? Show me what's going to take place soon. The Greek word is taku. And literally, it's, it's, again, it's kairos time. It's meant to say that in God's timing, the whole of history, his whole plan, from the moment that he created, and even before creation, and saw that there will be a fall of Adam and Eve, that fall will result in sin, the sin will result in my son having to come, my son will come, and those who, who preceded him will, will trust him as Messiah, those who live after him trust him as Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, and then the, 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 the half a time. All goes like this for God, right? It's how you and I will experience time when we die. When I die, I'm finally released from chronology, and now I live in kairos, ionious time. That's why I've said to you multiple times, I don't think that my mom and dad or grandma and grandpa's in heaven are sitting there going, oh, come on, God, we got to get this thing going. No, for them, the, the period between their death and living with God now in his time and the, the, the beginning of the half a time, the new creation will go like that. You won't sit in heaven like, oh, boy, I hope I'm getting tired of sitting up here on this old cloud, floating around, watching those people down there, corn huskers losing another game. <laughs> I'm tired of it. Get me going. No, you're not going to do that. It's boom. It's go, right? So what he's saying is, this angel is acting prophetically to show you what will come in God's time, Kairos Inus time, very quickly. All right? We are earthbound, so we think, well, it's been a long time, God. When, when are you going to come? God simply would say, my time, Kairos time, Ionis time. Okay? Side note here. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants this must soon take place. Okay? Um... After the revelation in, in history, we have the completion of what is typically called the canon of Scripture. So, how did I get my Bible? Well, of course, I went to the store and bought it. Duh. But that's not what I'm talking about. How did, the, how did we get this Bible? There's how many books in the Bible? How many of them, guys? Unless you're Catholic. And you get the bonus books, right? <laughs> That's why I like Catholic Bibles. I'm like, I want the bonus. Give me the whole thing, right? Apocalyptic books of the Bible. Okay. Why, why are there 66 books? Who, who decided that? Did the Holy Spirit decide that? Not really. 
So when you look at how how the Bible gets put together, there you you let's just let's just make it kind of make this simple. There are four gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Were there more gospels than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? If we go back and we 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 and dig all these different manuscripts, are there more than four gospels? Oh yeah, there's hundreds of them. Why are there only four in my Bible? Well, you remember that the canon of Scripture represents a process in that post-apostolic period, about third century, where the where the the Christians are saying, "Look, there's a lot of different things that have been written pseudepigraphically, apocalyptically, but." There's a distinction between where these words received from prophets and testifiers of the faith and a book that I found that we don't even know who wrote it and it contradicts everything that the apostles said. There's a difference between the two. And so that people don't get confused with what are and are not the Gospels, we are going to create a canon of Scripture that locks in those books of the Bible that demonstrably come from the eyewitnesses of the accounts that they record, right? 66 books. John, arguably, is the last prophet in the scriptures. We don't typically call him a prophet, but the words we just read do. The angel is speaking prophetically to John, John in turn now speaks prophetically to us. He's the last prophet. Are there any prophets to come that we should expect? Well, um, if we were Mormons, what would we say? Yeah, okay. G the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints is built upon the idea that, well, John came and he was, you know, he was a prophet, but guess what? There are other prophets that came after John, and so we now have, through Joseph Smith and the discovery of these tablets, you know, the words of, the words of God that tell us the church will continue to have prophets. So in the Mormon church today, there are prophets who prophesy, okay? Do I accept their prophecy? Should I accept their prophecy? Should I say, oh, well, all it goes. You know, John won the last word. Some of these prophets, they sound pretty good. I kind of like what they deal. I mean, if, I, if you're a Mormon, if you're a male, I mean, you get your own planet. And you get to populate the thing. It'd be fun. I mean, you get, get so why shouldn't I believe that? Well, no, because what, what, he's, what he's saying is, to be a prophet, you don't, you, you, you speak through the Spirit of God Right, and and as the revelation closes out the the canon of scripture, God will say to us, "There are no more prophets to come." In a foretelling sense, this is my foretelling. I'm I'm giving you my last word, John, on what is getting ready to happen soon. Okay, um, if we were Islamic, are there prophets? Well, yeah. Muhammad is considered what? A prophet. He came after Jesus. In fact, Jesus is subordinated to him. So what, what he's saying is, John, you're now receiving what I, what I gave to my other prophets, the Spirit, who's going to testify 
to what will lead now to the end. Thus, Revelation becomes the last prophetic word of Scripture. Okay? Flip your page there for a minute. And now he says, And behold, I am coming soon. So blessed are the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay? And what I want to do is, um, I want to kind of come around these, these, these two terms right here. Because it's interesting to me, blessed is the one who will, will hear and keep the words of this book, the words of this prophecy. Okay? What, I seem to, what I seem to recognize is the fact that there are a lot of people who are hearers of the word. But not necessarily the second term, tereo, keepers of the word. Okay? So what I want to challenge you on, and it looks like I'm going to get to do this. What did Fritz ask me? He's like, how long is Revelation going to last? I said, well, it's Ionios, Kairos time. <laughs> but here's what I want to challenge you on, and, and I'll take you over to, it, to another scripture, because it's interesting to me that the one who hears and tereo lagoi keeps these words. And I always, whenever I hear the word lagoi, words in the scripture, I always flash forward to who is the word. Because I don't think you can keep these words apart from the word keeping them in you, if that makes sense. I want to pick back up on that next week.